Hello, world. Welcome to Young's Uplifting Expressions with yours truly, Darlene. Inspiring, motivating, encouraging is who I am. And you know, I'm going to say, and that is what I do. So it is time for you to get up, to get moving. And it's time for you to live your life. Again, I'm going to tell you, we had a great show last week. It was an amazing show. My dear friend and pastor Reggie Epps was our guest. He is from Dallas, Texas. And he, it's a show that if you missed it, I encourage you to go to e-linetv.com. And remember our podcast platforms are iHeartRadio, Apple, and Spotify. Continue to to get in touch with me through my web address, which is yuexpressions.com. Now, you know, each week I have what I call an inspirational note, okay? And today, the word that I'm going to use and the inspirational note is going to be about trust. Last week, Pastor Epps talked talk to us about beating the odds. Well, in this word called trust, a lot of times we have people that we may have confidence in. Our trust can be in our bank accounts. Our trust may be in our jobs. But trust basically is something or someone that we confide in or that we look to in life. We all can be trusting to the point sometimes where we can be naive. However, I want you all to keep this scripture in mind. And it is from Proverbs, the third chapter, verses five through six that says, trust in God or trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge not your friends, not the thing, but acknowledge God. When you acknowledge him, he's going to respond and, he, and God is the one that's going to give you the direction that you need. Now, our trivia question, which will come at the, during the African Connection. Today's trivia question is, who said, why would I complain about making $700 a week playing a maid if I didn't, I would be making $7 a week. And of course, you know, this was many, many, many decades ago. But you know what? That answer will not be given until we have the African connection, which is later on in our show. It is time for a commercial break, and I'll see you shortly after the break.
viewers, it is time for storytelling. Remember to send a story, a poem, so that you will uplift someone's spirit who watch our show. Today, I'm going to read you brief stories or brief testimonies from a website that I was looking at today and I thought it was quite interesting. And it's from the Desert News, www.desert.com. It says depression is something millions of people across the world struggle with on a daily basis. According to the World Health Organization, 350 million people around the world suffer from depression. In America alone, 9% of the country battles the issue with 3.4% suffering from a major case of depression. But how do people overcome it? Here are a few stories and a few tips from people who overcame depression. Gervasi struggled with depression twice in her life, both dealt with life and death. The first time was after her brother died, and the second was after she gave birth to a child who is now 14 months old, but this was, story was written many years ago, so he's much older. Her brother's death resonated with her entire family, but it really hit her hard. It was a sign that everything doesn't last forever. The death of my brother changed how I prioritize people and events moving forward. Javersi wrote in a blog post, I skimmed the fact from my life and made peace with my own demons. Then she met Kevin and the two had a child in 2013, Aria Rose. Her daughter's birth also spawned depression for Javas. It wasn't so much having a daughter that made her depressed, but rather her having to reevaluate who she was as a person. She could no longer be the partier she once was she had to be responsible. But soon, little Aria helped Javars rise up and overcome her depression. Aria is my compass, Javara, Javars said in her blog post. My why, she is the reason I quit my sales job. And this was some years ago. And she went into becoming a full-time life coach. From this story, a key word that she had to deal with her own issues. She had to reflect and look within herself. And she knew that she had to become responsible. And as I read these stories, remember everybody's story is not the same. There is another person, her name is Kate McHugh. And um, she's an author and a clinician but she only got to where she is now by overcoming, here's the word, overcomers. I've talked about that word a lot, depression as a teenager. McHugh said she was harassed, humiliated, and cyberbullied during her teenage years, leading her to go from being happy and vibrant, a high, happy and vibrant youngster to someone angrier and sullen. Once she became a different person, she slowly slipped into the murky waters of depression. It was the lowest, she said, I have ever felt in my life. She said to, to the national, and this part is cut off, but she did talk about being depressed. But everything changed once she went to college. The peers who had put her down and bullied her within the walls of high school were long gone, and she could finally start focusing on what made her unique and special, instilling confidence in herself, what got her past depression and on a path to success, she said, I worked really hard to change the messages in my head. McHugh said, I was led to believe that I was ugly, 
worthless and disgusting. I internalized these messages and they became part of my identity. I began to tell myself that I was smart, loved, and beautiful. You know, the thing about story one and story two is that they both had to reflect to go within themselves. And so in that process, they began to not allow the outside forces where in this particular story with Kate, she looked within herself instead of letting the words, the ugly words that had been spoken to her through bullying, she looked deep within herself and began to draw and to pull from the essence of her beauty, the essence of who she is and that great person that she could become. One more story by Jay Louder. Jay Louder overcame depression by finding God. He was 21 when everything went south. He was dumped, he lost his car, and he found himself unemployed all at once. Things began to spiral out of control from there. Depression settled and louder turned to the bottle as a source of its state. The things took a dark turn for louder, but with the help of his roommate, and religion, he overcomes his struggle with depression. He was invited to an event and hosted by a preacher. And it was there that he rediscovered his faith and religion. It has helped him grow in his faith as an evangelist. He's looking to spread the message now across the world. So, for him, which I talked about trust earlier, whatever his circumstances was that he was dealing with, and that trust, he started putting, he started placing it in the bottle, but he later found out that that substance that he was using was not the answer for him. So his solution was turning to an eternal God that he believed in. And now, not only was he able to help himself, he is now helping other people. Lenore, when her husband discovered that his previously beaten brain tumor was back, her life took on a darker shade. She struggled to function after his surgery to remove the tumor and couldn't handle the problems associated with aiding her husband while also living in a small place. I found myself having fits of crying, I couldn't stop, she said. Once her husband passed away, she focused her attention on writing and building her career, which allowed her to work through the demons that hung over her shoulder. Whatever you're dealing with, know that you're able to overcome it. Just get in the right place, get in the right space, get around the right people, and put your trust and faith in God and tell him what's happening in your world and ask God to help you. And that will take place. So this ends our stories for today. I am excited. We have a beautiful professional guest that I'm so proud of because I've been knowing her all of her life. And she, her name is Alexis. Long Daniels. She is going to be with us after the commercial break, and she has some information to share regarding her career path and what she does that a lot of people, including myself, need, can, can be able to learn from her. So I'll see you after the break, and we'll be talking to Alexis. Love, Yana. Transitional housing is about to um, take place and acquire their first home. So we're on the journey right now looking for, you know, the home that we're going to actually choose. I am Keontae Webster, Empowerment for the Powerless. I am from Florida, Mississippi.
Welcome back, viewers. We are about to talk to Miss Alexis Long Daniels. She is our special guest, our very special guest on today. Um, Alexis is a licensed associate clinical mental health therapist, certified trauma professional, national board certified counselor. It is my pleasure to have Alexis Long Daniels with us today. Please, Ms. Daniels, introduce yourself to our viewers. Thank you for having me. Um, as Ms. Young said, I'm Associate Licensed Counselor in Alabama. Um, I see children, um, individuals, adults, teens, families, um, pretty much across the board. I also do group therapy um, when needed. Um, but, you know, seeing people from different facets of life, I know you all were just talking about depression. You know, I have clients that come in that have been diagnosed with depression, some with anxiety. Um, some of my modalities that I use in session would be CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, narrative therapy, sometimes play when it comes to the kids that I work with, and also sometimes the adults. Um, you can also do play therapy um, with adults, which is um, sometimes kind of fun, breaks up the monotony of sessions sometimes. Um, and I have various specialties. So I know Ms. Young talked about um, trauma. I'm a certified trauma professional. So trauma is one of my specialties, anxiety, depression, self-esteem, different things like that. Okay, this is going to be an interesting conversation today because I do have some questions that I'll come later. Okay, okay. Um, you received your undergraduate in psychology and mm -hmm. journalism from the University of Alabama. Yes. What led you to choose a psychology major? Is that something you were always passionate about? Yeah, so actually in high school, I knew I wanted to um, major in psychology. I've always wanted to help people. I was able to, in college, once I got into the degree path, kind of hone in on what I really wanted to do with that. But I knew for sure, starting in high school, I wanted to help people. I was fascinated by how the brain worked and how people related to one another and how they interacted. So I knew I wanted to use that, but I wasn't quite sure how, but I knew I wanted to do a psychology major. Ah, okay. Now, let me ask you something. When you're taking psychology, kind of give me an idea of some of the classes that you have to take. Cause... Um, human development, you take a lot of theories classes based on, you know, the theorists from a while back, like Freud. Um, you talk about what their theories were at the time, where we've gone from, from then to now, and, you know, what theories we use today. Um, like I said, human development, you're talking about, like I said, the brain, how it works, how it functions, those primary functions, but then also how that matches with your functioning with other people and relationships and things like that. Okay. Um, what is this term now? I can't remember about who, which one of the philosophers, uh, if you can think of it, that talks about we have a clean slate, um, said that they basically think that we're born uh, and, and all of a sudden, once we get here, that's when we learn how to pick up all of this information. Oh, gosh. Um, do you know who I'm talking not about? Not sure. No, I'm not sure. Oh, gosh, I can see it in my head. But anyway, I was going to say, if you could remember, because if I hear his name, I remember it. But I disagree. Yeah. I, I, I disagree. We, I think when a person is in the womb, all of this information starts. But moving right along. You also have been working in the field of counseling for four years, primarily with children, adolescents, and their families. What's a common issue you find when talking um, uh, to your clients, uh, you, you know, families, children, adolescents, etc.? So a lot of times with the kids and adolescents I see, it's mm -hmm. typically um, either anxiety or adjustment, which is a lot of times what we'll call it when it's more general, like I'm, I'm going through high school or I'm going through middle school and I'm just dealing with some of those um, natural, I'll say, 
situations, whether it be with peers, whether it be with family, and I'm trying to adjust to these life experiences. So a lot of times, um, if you see a diagnosis, it may say adjustment disorder, um, but that's primarily what it means. When they come to session, we're really focusing on helping them adjust to those day-to-day -day life experiences that they may not have the skills to um, work through. And for families, a lot of times, it can be parenting, it can be co-parenting, I, I might be noticing my child is having some behavioral issues and I don't know what to do with that or how to work with that or through that at home. So it can vary from family perspective, but a lot of times with the children and adolescents, it may be some anxiety, it may be some adjustment disorders, um, but it also could be other, you know, larger um, issues as well. It kind of varies. Often in our communities, we're told to pray on things when issues arise instead of seeking therapy. Why is mental health, um, mental health help important in our community? I definitely think it's important for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And when we say you know, therapy's taboo, kind of like what you were talking about in our community. I think there's a lot of factors involved with that. Mm -hmm. um, I know as far as history is concerned, we have a lot of lack of trust in medical professionals. And a lot of people may not consider mental health a medical issue, but just like physical health, it is a medical issue. We are healthcare professionals. The brain is a part of your body. And so there is a lot of um, ingrained mistrust in the medical system. There is a lot of shame and stigma surrounding mental health and what that means if you go to therapy or some people say you may be crazy if you go to therapy and you know, you, you have something wrong with you if you go to therapy. And none of those things have to be true. You can go to therapy just because you want someone to talk to. So mm -hmm. I think it's important for everyone, but especially for our community, because there are so many um, things like that and stigma and surrounding, you know, seeking help. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of people see African-American people as strong and able to get through so many different things. And you don't have to do that alone. Mm hmm. I, I agree with you. And as you were speaking, you know, even, and I'm going to go to the, the, the church culture because it's a faith based show. And you we go to church. Yes, we hear the word of God. Yes. But just like the pastor is there, just like the teacher is the educator in the classroom, just as your profession is, God created these different talents, these different gifts, these different professions for a reason. And I will say to our community, there isn't anything wrong with going to a counselor, going to a psychologist. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes, and a lot of times, it's good to go talk to someone that you don't know, who's not going to pass judgment on you. It doesn't mean that you are crazy. And I say this because sometimes it could be a chemical imbalance somewhere, which most of the time it is, and that you may need, it, some of it could come through medication, you know, it, it could be that, like you mentioned earlier about anxiety, and sometimes actually recognizing that can help. And I give it myself as an example, I was in a car accident, and I remember an educator said to me, there was another teacher who had been injured, but you could see them on crutches. With me, I looked fine. And I never will forget that teacher said to me, you're the dangerous one because his injuries are external and we can see his injuries. She said, but with the accident you just had, she said, we can't see it. Yours is internal. And surely enough, the district counselor that was in my office suite, she said, you have gone through a lot of trauma. And she also said to me, hey, you need to go and talk to a counselor. Counselor wasn't the word that she used. But anyway, to make a long story short, I did do that. And when I was in that session, I never forget, I started talking so fast, so fast. And so I didn't realize, you know, and she, and she said, just stop and breathe because there was a lot of anxiety there. 
because psychologically I was traumatized from that accident and externally I was functioning, but I was actually dysfunctional. So yes, it's okay to go and get help. It is not taboo. What are some misconceptions people have? I think we just talked about this. Uh, uh, what are some misconceptions people have with therapy, with counseling? And you just said that. Any other? Yeah, I think stigma is one of the biggest things. And a lot of people have heard this before. Um, so much so that we almost lose the meaning of stigma sometimes, I think. But it's crucial because it prevents, you know, people we're surrounded by and their thoughts and feelings about it. Those are people we care about, right? We mm -hmm. value those people's opinions, but sometimes that does influence stigma and what we seek out. And that doesn't even just stay with mental health care. That can go with medical care as well and other types of care um, because we value those opinions and um, you know, we trust those individuals more so than we would maybe these medical professionals. Mm -hmm. it, it creates a, a kind of a spiral effect for if we seek out mental health care or if we participate in it, in it, if we encourage others to participate in it. So I think that's one of the biggest things that you'll notice, especially in our community, is that we're not open to it. And even if there is maybe a tiny bit of hope, sometimes it's hard to get people to come in and see, you know, the benefits or um, see the long-term assistance that they could have from participating in it. Mm -hmm. And the end results um, of my few weeks of going through counseling, going through therapy, the end results of it all was this, or the, is that I just simply needed to rest. I just simply needed to slow down. So, it, you know, sometimes it can be something so simple is that mm -hmm. that downtime, that me time is what the diagnosis was given because I had, again, the car accident, the transitioning of my mom and some other things that had taken place. So I basically just needed to get in that space, stop trying to fix everything, do everything, be there for everybody and just deal with myself. And I think in one of those stories, those people, one of the women said, hey, I had to, in, to go in, in and look in the mirror at myself to see what it is that I needed. It is time for a commercial break. And we're going to continue this conversation with Miss Alexis Long Daniels after the break. back and we are talking to Miss Alexis Long Daniels about her journey in her profession of counseling and in mental health. Miss Alexis, you are currently pursuing a doctoral degree. Congratulations to you and I'm very <laughs> proud of you in health education and health promotion. How is that going? It's going. Um, <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> a lot um, to be, you know, in a PhD program and working and everything like that. But I really do enjoy it. I'm what I would like to call like a lifelong learner. I enjoy being in the classroom. I enjoy, you know, learning about new things and um, different theories like we were talking about earlier. I love learning in general. So I'm enjoying the program. It is a lot, but um, it's worth it. <laughs> the reason I'm sitting here laughing is because um, I will be graduating in May uh, from seminary and I work uh, with a master and I'm working on this master thesis and I say all the time, Woo, God bless everybody who went to get notice I said I'm saying academic doctorate, an mm -hmm. academic doctorate, there is a difference okay, yeah. it is 
my goodness. So in that, <laughs> you have to find that balance of that mental health because it is a lot, even yeah. with, with what I'm doing. So I'm very proud of you. Thank in your you. bio, it states, for the goal of your doctorate, you would like to implement educational community, mental health programs in undeserved communities and continuing research surrounding mass incarceration and prison and criminal reform. Community work is so important. Where did that, that stem from? I think it just stems from my experiences and the things that I see, you know, being in the mental health field. And even when I was in school, um, before I got my degree, we have practicum. So I got to work on a behavioral health unit in a hospital. And so I was able to see the access or the lack of access in a lot of um, our communities and other communities, the lack of education that a lot of people have surrounding mental health and, and what it means to have a mental health diagnosis and what that looks like and what resources there are available. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I want to create more access to those type of programs that will provide education and provide resources to people that may not have that immediate access or may not know that there is access or services available for them. Adolescents mm -hmm. are easily influenced by what they see on TV, social media, their phones, etc. What piece of advice would you give those struggling to fit in or to find themselves? Yeah, um, I think that is true. And it, it goes beyond adolescence, right? We're influenced by TV and everything and social media as well. I do think that they are more susceptible, right? Mm -hmm. um, with everything that is out there now, TikTok and all of that. Um, I do think it's important to, to know who you are and figure out those crucial pieces to what make you, you, things mm -hmm. that you like, things that... Um, you know, are important to you, your values. Mm -hmm. And when you have those things that are foundational, mm -hmm. it will help in your decision making. It will help um, when you are interacting with your peers. Now, keep in mind, our brains are not fully developed <laughs> until age 25. And I think that is a huge part as well mm -hmm. that a lot of people forget about. Um, the decision making that maybe we have as adults and sometimes still don't even have as adults for various reasons, it's not there for them yet. They're still exploring. They're still de de determining who they are, what they like. Um, so there's a lot of factors at play there, but I think being able to have opportunities to find themselves and learn and explore, I think those things will be helpful for them to make better decisions or decipher what is helpful for them and what may be harmful for them. Okay. And what you do, you know, if um, being that this is a faith-based show, what message is, say, for example, if you were in a, in, a, in a church, what message would you give to congregants regarding what you do, the, the importance, the significance of, of what, what you do? Kind of like what I said earlier, that you don't have to do hard things alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that we stand on that sometimes, our ability to be strong, to, to carry the weight of the world almost. And yeah, that's great that you have resilience, right? That you have the ability to do hard things. That's great. But you don't have to do those things by yourself. There are, and that's what community comes in for. And I know that's a big message when we talk about church and faith-based communities. Mm -hmm. That community piece is huge. And that still applies when we're talking about mental health. We don't want individuals to isolate and not create relationships and, um, you know, develop friendships or relationships of any kind. We want them to be able to do that versus being so isolated because we stay in our minds a lot more when we're isolated. We don't have the opportunities to have conversations, to learn different things, to go out and be in the sunlight and get our vitamin D, different things like that. Um, so I think community is a huge part 
of what I would share and that, you, you know, you use your community when you, you do have those hard instances that happen. Um, you don't have to do it alone. With COVID-19, with this stay at home order, is there reports of potentially more mental health issues or suicidal issues that you all have uh, been coming, been informed of or, or, you know, having to deal with more patients in, in that, in, you know, involving that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not long ago, um, you know, we, talked a lot, or you might have seen it in the news where there was an increase and in an uptake, you know, with children dealing with mental health crises, mm -hmm. um, so much so that it was like a national emergency. Um, and it was definitely on some news sites. I'm not sure mm -hmm. how, um, you know, they distributed that information, how widely, but we definitely had a child mental health crisis going on during the pandemic. And I would say it's still going on um, because when we were in COVID-19, you know, we had children going back to home lives that may, may not have been that great where they had been at school, but they weren't able to be at school. Mm -hmm. So many different factors at play. Um, but yes, I definitely would say there has been an uptick in mental health concerns being related to us as clinicians since COVID-19. So now for anyone, for a parent with a child, or even for male or female, any adult, what would be some symptoms or, or something that we would need to pay attention to that say, hey, potentially, maybe you do need to go see a counselor. Maybe you do need to go see a psychologist. What are some of those signs or that, that warning signs there that says, hey, we need to go and get some mental health care? Yeah, I think, you know, paying attention to if your child is withdrawing, right? Okay. If they're starting to um, mention not wanting to go do those fun things that they used to enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. uh, even if you come down to them telling you their stomach hurts, right? Okay. When we think about children, they, they aren't always able to communicate with us the way like you and I would communicate as adults okay. necessarily. So stomach aches and things like that can be indications of anxiety um, and other things. So it's important to just overall pay more attention, pay close attention, okay. listen to what they're saying, um, pay attention to how they're interacting with their peers, if they're interacting at all, um, if they're still struggling with sleeping, because I know that has been a big issue as well, people struggling um, with sleep or with not having enough sleep, different things like that can be um, warning signs that there could be something else bigger going on. Okay, now that's on the children's side, for somebody like the adult, like myself, what would be some things that you would know? And say if it was someone you were close to that you would see potentially, you know, because you interact with people a lot, you know, socializing with people. Mm -hmm. So if I'm sure that's probably something you're more sensitive to, especially if someone you're familiar with. What are some of those signs that you may say to yourself, hmm, they need to go to the adult and go get some help? Yeah, especially with COVID-19, I would say an increase in anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're anxious about what's out there and we don't know, right? As far as um, COVID-19 itself and being uh -huh. proactive with making sure we're healthy and making sure we don't get sick. And um, so maybe some signs would be similar to the children, really. If you see some withdrawal there, if I'm not wanting to go outside my house as much, if I'm, okay. you know, wanting to stay stay home and, and, and not really go out and hang out or do those different things. And some people, you know, we were in shutdown for a while, so we weren't able to necessarily go out. But even if you were on a Zoom call and you guys decided to do movie night on the Zoom call, if your friend is maybe saying frequently that they don't want to attend the Zoom call or they don't want to get on the phone, maybe check in with them and see how are they coping with the pandemic um, and if you are out, if they do go out with you and they seem kind of hypervigilant for things and over anxious about, you know, being out around other people, those are things to look for as well. Yeah, because one thing for sure, and you know, with this pandemic, psychologically, it has affected all of us. And, and with myself so much now, I have been doing through Zoom, through Zoom, through Zoom. And so I, you know, I don't, hang out like I used to, but 
it, it psychologically it has affected I, I don't think anyone is exempt from that so we have to pay attention uh, to it there is one more question that I have for you and that is how can people get in contact with you so um, my private practice is named work the wellness enterprises okay. mm -hmm. uh, I'll say that again work the wellness enterprises uh -huh. Uh -huh. um, we are located in Hoover Alabama uh -huh. and they can get in contact with me via my website which is worth w-o-r-t-h d-t-h-e wellness.com and that has all my information for booking sessions or my email if they need to do a consultation anything like that well, Alexis, I want to say thank you so much for being on Young's Uplifting Expressions today and giving us some insight about mental health. So Absolutely. again, congratulations to you on working on your doctoral degree. And I'm going to say, yes, I am very proud of you once again. So I wish you much success in what you are doing. And thanks for being on our show today. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. It is now time for a commercial break. And after the break, we will go into the African Connection segment of our show. Hey, my beautiful butterflies. I know y'all been wondering, where's Chrissy Collins and Coffee with Chrissy? Well, guess what? We are back and we're stronger than ever on E-Line TV. That's right, E-LineTV.com. Y'all, I'm so excited because on this streaming network, we're gonna be doing so much. And with Coffee with Chrissy and you, the sky's the limit. So make sure you go and subscribe to e-linetv.com. It's free right now, but the prices are going to go up. So we want you to come on and jump on board right now. I can't wait. Y'all meet me there and make sure you have your cup of coffee ready. Welcome back, viewers. We are about to go in. Well, it is time, not about to, it is time for the African Connection. You know, this is one of my fun parts of the show because I get to share history, art, entertainment, politics from our beginnings, which is from Mother Africa. And today, wow, I have to put my glasses on so I can see. We're gonna talk about... In the nightclub of a Los Angeles hotel, Hattie McDaniel takes the stage. Clad in a turquoise dress and with white flowers cascading through her hair, she looks every inch the part as she accepts her Academy Award. But behind the scenes, segregation still divides the movie industry, and McDaniel's moment in the spotlight is bittersweet. Hattie McDaniel. Beautiful. And were both former slaves, and Henry had served with the United States Colored Troops during the Civil War. As a young girl, McDaniel moved with... What I was getting ready to say about Hattie McDaniel, and last week, my trivia question came about her being the first Oscar winner. And when you are the first in something, you go through a lot. So for those of you who are history makers, whether you're known nationally, whether you're known in a small place, I want to say thank you for the path that you have made in helping someone else. You are door openers for someone else. So listen to her story and don't become discouraged in where you are now in your life. Their family to Colorado and they eventually settled in Denver. One of 13 siblings, McDaniel soon developed a talent for acting and singing. And when her brothers began performing a minstrel show, she decided to get involved. However, the performances were designed to mimic the white populace, and McDaniel often donned whiteface to entertain her African-American audience. A radical performer for the time, McDaniel went on to sing with a group known as the Melody Hounds. Then in 1929, she was all set to hit the road with a touring production of the musical Showboat. However, the stock market crash sent America spiraling into economic depression, and McDaniel suddenly found herself without a job. By this time, McDaniel was living in Milwaukee, where she found work at a local inn. But even though she was initially employed as a bathroom cleaner, her star quality shone through, and soon she was singing on the venue stage. From there, she moved to Los Angeles, hoping to follow her siblings Sam and Etta into show business. At the time, opportunities for African Americans were scarce. In fact, black actors were almost exclusively limited to subservient roles. 
but instead of fighting the stereotype McDaniel embraced it becoming an immediate success and in 1934 she bagged her first major role earning hundreds of dollars and a movie credit to her name however the movie judge priest is not remembered fondly today in fact it did little more than provide a vehicle for the controversial actor step and fetch it who attracted criticism for further stereotypes of african-americans as lazy and dim-witted despite this McDaniel's career survived unscathed and by 1935 she was being cast in even bigger roles that year she appeared in the MGM movie China Seas alongside Clark Gable who would become a close friend and in 1936 she performed in showboat once more this time singing in Universal Pictures take on the musical and it was that role that would propel her to stardom beyond her wildest dreams at that time Hollywood producer David O Selznick had just bought the rights to the novel gone with the wind for a whopping $50,000 and as excitement around the upcoming picture grew the hunt began for a black actress to play the role of Mammy a slave who plays a central role in the Civil War era drama among those up for the role were actress Louise Beavers fresh from an acclaimed performance in imitation of life and even First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt's own personal maid however the American performer Bing Crosby had seen McDaniel in showboat and suggested to Selznick that she would be perfect for Mammy apparently Selznick agreed and McDaniel was cast in the role of a lifetime but from the beginning the story with its southern heroine and sympathetic depiction of slavery was the target of criticism from the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People or the NAACP although the association had concerns about the source materials offensive language and difficult themes Selznick sought to reassure them that this adaptation would take a sensitive approach and even though some racial slurs made it into the script the worst of them remained on the page in fact some believe that McDaniel's refusal to speak certain words played a part in their removal eventually gone with the wind was released to a great fanfare and acclaim but as the stars arrived at Lowe's Grand Theater in Atlanta Georgia for the premiere McDaniel did not appear at their side in fact the state's segregation laws barred her from attending but when her co-star Gable threatened to boycott the event in solidarity she persuaded him to ignore the controversy and attend however it was far from the last time that McDaniel's race would prevent her from celebrating her success in fact it wasn't until the actress directly approached Selznick armed with glowing reviews that the producer put her forward for an Academy Award in the running for best supporting actress she helped gone with the wind set a record with 13 Academy Award nominations on February 29th McDaniel arrived at the coconut Grove nightclub inside Los Angeles's ambassador hotel she and her escort were there for the Oscar ceremony but the hotel did not usually welcome African-Americans and although Selznick had pulled some strings to get the band lifted McDaniel was forced to sit separately from her co-stars on a small table at the back despite the obvious prejudice against her McDaniel took home the award and after climbing on stage to collect it she gave a memorable speech I shall always hold it as a beacon for anything that I may be able to do in the future she's reported to have said I sincerely hope that I shall always be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry although McDaniel was the first african-american to win an Academy Award her portrayal of Mammy drew condemnation from the NAACP and other similar organizations according to them she was guilty of perpetuating the stereotypes that confined black actors to menial roles moreover they accused her of profiting from these negative depictions however the actress herself never accepted these accusations and although she found herself typecast as a domestic servant throughout her career she often rebuffed her critics with a witty retort why would I complain about making $700 a week playing a maid if I didn't I'd be making $7 a week being one McDaniel is once reported to have said after gone with the wind McDaniel took a series of similar roles before landing the lead in Beulah a popular radio show but just as she was making the leap into television in 1952 she died of breast cancer and even though she asked to be buried in the Hollywood Cemetery the cruelty of segregation struck once more from Miss McDaniel's story I want to share this with you all about her to accept her Here's Academy Award story. black actress Monique is that the about her story is this remember i said to you in the beginning when you're starting at the beginning of anything there is always going to be a challenge and from this there are three things for myself would take away is 
no matter how tough times get, because she did go through some tough times, it may seem like things are not going well, or sometimes they are not. Remember, do not give up on your dreams. Secondly, do not allow people to define who you are or control your destiny. And remember to trust God in all that you do. And one of the things that she said when the NAACP and some others were criticizing her about the role that she was playing in Hollywood, he says, who said, the trivial question is, who said, why would I complain about making $700 a week playing a maid? And if I didn't, I would actually, she would be making $7 a week. And so we have to look beyond people's perception of us and pursue our vision. So, of course, the answer today is not Louise Beavers or Eleanor Roosevelt's maid. The answer is Hattie Mack. Daniel. And I want to say to all of you, thank you so much. This is today is the end of season two. I have had a wonderful season. We have had a wonderful season. We have had amazing guests, great guests from topics of rebuilding women, um, remembering our, our roots, marriage medicine 101, um, just some great topics. And then today we end on a pleasant note of talking about our health, specifically mental health. So thank you. I am coming back for season three. But in the meantime, until that time, I want you all to remember what I say to you every week. And that is for you to live your life. Remember to go on e-linetv.com to watch our shows. There are a lot of great shows out there on Eline Media TV. Remember our podcast platforms are Apple, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I want to hear from you even while, I, until I come back from season three, go to my website page on yuexpressions.com. Now, before I go for this season, always each day, remember it's one day at a time. It is for you to get up, to get moving, and to live. It is time for you to live your life. And thank you, viewers, for being with me during season two. And I'll see you in a few months in season three. Thank you for watching.